It's that time. I don't want any of you to think that I might mislead you in any way. So if you're able to see it, you can probably tell that this Bible is here for show because it's in Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. I will not be reading from it. It's here to give gravitas to what I'm telling you. See, so now that I've blown that, I just want you to know that the passages I'll be reading, and there are plenty of them today, plenty of them, I've put in my manuscript so that we wouldn't have to spend too much time fumbling and flipping through. Um, If you're a speed writer, please feel free to write down all of the references that I may make to Scripture passages during this message. And look them up later while you listen to the rebroadcast online. And then you can follow along even better. But there's no reason for me to take up more hours of your day than I'm already going to. Especially after last week's relatively short message. I only implied that this message is going to be long. It's not. It's going to be kind of average. Ah, okay. Now that all the business is taken care of, let's get down to the business. Now that I've kept you in anticipation long enough. By the way, anticipation. How many remember that old Carly Simon song? For the record, that was 1971. That was 48 years ago, for those of us who can no longer count that high or have trouble with advanced math. Well, I thought that would get a bigger chuckle than that. I guess for most of us it is advanced math. But anyway... If you remember the song from 1972, then the question is, do you remember the 1979 ketchup commercials? Of course. Some of us do. The ones that featured the refrain from that song, Anticipation. Two boys sitting in front of a plate with a giant hamburger and a pile of french fries. Holding that ketchup bottle upside down just waiting for all that tantalizingly tart, tangy, tomatoey topping to topple out of the bottle onto that perfectly formed burger and tenderly embrace each individual fry with copious quantities of that finely unconfined condiment. All preceded by the question, you mean... Your mom doesn't buy Heinz. Wait till you taste it. And the way a thing is the hardest part. Good. Glad you got that. <clears throat> and, and what about Christmas? Yeah, I know it's gone by for this winter, but can you remember how long it took Christmas to get here when you were a kid? Anticipation. We've all endured it. Some with patience. Some not so much. Some with long suffering. That's what you call it when anticipation turns from pleasurable expectation to painful endurance. Life's most difficult times tend to drive us to a place like that. We know with certainty that God will be coming through with all the right answers to address all of our needs. But when will his time finally be? Have you ever prayed with the Apostle John? Even so, Lord Jesus, come just to get out from the 
painful endurance. I remember when my dad was dying from cancer. I was confident that paradise awaited him somewhere on the other side. But the journey seemed intolerably long and arduous. Anticipation. It can be either bitter or sweet, and sometimes it's a little of both. Anticipation for Israel was like that. God had made promises of great and glorious things. A king, a kingdom, blessing, fruitfulness, peace, victory, unity, respect, blessing, restoration, even God's own presence in their very midst. All glad tidings. But when would it finally arrive? And why was he waiting so long? And why were things so hard in the meantime? 2 Peter 3.9 tells us, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So even God's delay is laced with his grace. How he must long to end injustice, suffering, pain, all the effects that sin has on his creation. Yet he delays his coming. Why? So some more might come to repentance. That's why. So some more might join his family. Did anyone see Hacksaw Ridge? It's a brutally tough movie to watch. But it's a great story, a real-life story. If you saw Hacksaw Ridge, you understand. It's as if God is running back and forth, carrying his wounded children to safety and delivering them into his own loving hands. All the time praying, just one more. Let me save just one more. Still, time drags on while the seemingly endless night of slaughter rages on. From God's perspective, there was much to be done. The good news of the promise to the fathers would take some time to be fully realized. There was a stage to be set, a nation to build, a people to be nurtured, children to guide safely home and sin to be purged. No, to be paid for. And all the while, there was the great mercy of suffering. Even his own son, Jesus, had to suffer in order to save many. John 12, 24 says, For unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces many more seeds. There was a world to be saved. How could we, who were so strong in our error and rebellion, be turned apart from suffering the natural consequences of our own sin. How could we, while there was still in us the will to turn away and the strength to do it, how could we be turned around to face God and to begin moving in his direction? No. While we were still strong in our error, the promise would have to wait. And anticipation however long and painful, would have to drag through history. It was not until there was no strength left, no hope left of extracting ourselves from the mire that God could act. 
It is when we were helpless, at the end of our own strength, without hope in the world, that God could reach down to us and guide us to himself through Jesus. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Anticipation. We, even we, who were and are saved by the long-suffering grace of God through the cross of Christ, even we still wait, anticipating the end of the age and the final consummation and fulfillment of the promises made to the fathers. Today, this morning, we will look into those promises and begin to understand the great depth and great breadth of God's love for us. Pardon me. So before I begin the message, yes, that was the appetizer, I am hoping to have left you in anticipation of something greater. Before we do so, let's pray together. Please stand with me and honor God as we pray and enter his presence. Heavenly Father, it's, it's only on the other side of suffering that we understand the grace that is in suffering. But we stand in an interesting place between the beginning and the end, between the announcement of the kingdom and the consummation of the age. We stand there knowing that something has been done and waiting for something to be done. It is your grace, it is your mercy that has put us in this place while those who look back to the promises made to the Father are still waiting. For those who have looked past Jesus as the beginning to the answer, as Jesus to the answer itself, I thank you for the grace that you've given us, for the way that you've begun things, invited us in in the middle and desired to use us through to the end in order to bring about the things that you are bringing about in order that the weak among us might be the vessels of your strength and that it might fall out to your praise, to the glory of your splendor. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit, teach us this morning and guide us tomorrow as we hear now what it is you want to say and as we follow through. We ask this in Jesus' name for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, for your glory. Amen. Don't worry about a thing. Now I say as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Let's not get caught up in the obvious sexism of needing to be made a son rather than a daughter. This is not sexism. This is a cultural thing in a culture that God established. It reveals the truth that we, that is the people to whom Paul was writing this letter, people who were men, women, and children, we are legally in God's economy heirs. And in that culture, in order to be an heir, you had to be a son. So we are all God's heirs because of the work of Christ and because of the faith. Last week, we learned that the word gospel is simple, but the idea of the gospel is big. Gospel simply means glad tidings or good news. The word can refer to the news. It can refer to the thing that the news is about. And it can refer to the fact that the news is actually being told. All those things are gospel. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he started with good news. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet when he said, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 12 through 17. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In these few words, Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the good news, of what good news is. He expressed the idea of good news, glad tidings that was there in Isaiah's prophecy. Second, Jesus himself was, no, is the very good news himself. He is that light that Isaiah was talking about. And last, Jesus was declaring that there really is good news. So in his few words, his mission statement, if you will, the opening sentence of Jesus' ministry, he said, repent, for the kingdom is here. What good news was he declaring? That the anticipated kingdom had arrived. And that it had arrived in himself. And in what ways had the kingdom arrived? 
What was different suddenly because Jesus burst onto the scene? What was special? Rome still oppressed God's people. Israel was under the hand of her own tyrant king. Jews were not free to worship as God intended. There was still suffering, sickness, disease, oppression, depression. People's hearts were still turned each to his own or her own way. Justice did not prevail. The poor grew ever poorer. Violence was on the face of the earth. People were lovers of self. 2 Timothy 3, 2 and 4 said lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The promise of the kingdom that Isaiah spoke of seemed far off. Yet Jesus came declaring good news. Repent, for the kingdom is here. Matthew 4, 17. And how did the kingdom arrive? If we go on in Matthew 4, we see things like every kind of sickness and every kind of disease healed. Sickness, illness, disease healed, demons cast out, epileptics healed, paralysis banished. And if we move to chapter 5 and beyond, we see a whole new way of living being preached. Something completely different. If we go on to Matthew 11, verses 4 through 6, Jesus answered John's disciples and said to them, Go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. These things are incredible. I mean, they are incredible. What would happen today if someone walked around just healing people and leprosy was gone and, 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 and paralysis banished and, and the blind received sight and the deaf hear without medical intervention. <clears throat> these things are incredible. But more importantly, these are the things God had promised to the fathers. This is what Israel anticipated for so long. These are the things that characterize the kingdom and these are the fulfillment in part. Anticipation. It remains. For through the prophets, God promised much more. Again, in Isaiah, we do not need to go further than Isaiah in order to see all of these things. But if we did go further than Isaiah, in order to understand the promises made to the Father, we would look to God's promise made to Adam in Genesis. We would look to his promises made to Noah. We would look at his promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, through whom God promised to establish a people of his own choosing. We would look at God's promise to David and Solomon, to whom he promised to establish his throne on earth forever. We would look to Daniel, where God promised to end the reign of sin. We would look to Jeremiah, where he promised to end suffering. Ezekiel, where God promised to end oppression and restore the hearts of humans to himself. We would look at all the minor prophets including Joel, where God promised to pour out his spirit 
on all flesh. These are the great and glorious promises that God made to the fathers. All of these things make up the good news of God's promise to the fathers. Called that, called the gospel of the promises to the fathers in Acts 13.32, in Acts 26.6, and 2 Peter 3.4. These are the things that make up the good news of the kingdom that Jesus said is here. These things make up the promise of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the grace of God, etc., etc., etc. Remember all those things we said last week, the gospel of? All those things make up that gospel. When Jesus declared, repent, for the kingdom is at hand, this is what he was talking about. All of those promises made to the Father. Anticipation. Still, the anticipation goes on. For we live today in Hebrews 2.8. And we know that God put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet, but we do not yet see all things in subjection under his feet. What we do see is Jesus Christ elevated high above the angels. It's like Christmas. We celebrate something already done. Christmas is a celebration of Christ's birth. The coming of the Messiah. The beginning of the incarnation. The point at which the kingdom touched the earth. It's like Christmas. At Christmas we celebrate something already done, but anticipate it again every single year. Especially if we still believe. That's Santa Claus. That belief. See, we celebrate something already done but we anticipate it every year. It's like Easter, right? Being a Christian is like Easter all the time because we celebrate something already done, but we anticipate it again constantly. What does it mean to us that in all of these ways that God has kept his promise to the fathers? I mean, think about this. This is the gospel All of those different things. Gospel means good news, glad tidings. All of those different things are glad tidings. When Jesus came and said, the gospel is here, the kingdom is here, what he said was, uh, remember the promise that God the Father made to Adam about someday the serpent's head being crushed? Remember the promise that God made to Noah, I'm never going to destroy all life from the earth again? Pardon me. Remember the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, that God would establish a people to call by his own name? Do you remember the promise God made to David and Solomon? I will give you a king who will reign in righteousness in Israel forever. Those are the promises. Those are the good news. Those are the gospel. The gospel extends in all those directions and so many more that we will discover in the next two weeks. So what does it mean to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers? Because the promises were not just to the fathers. The promises were to us. And our children, forever, the promises reveal what God is doing. And we are the very first fruits of the harvest of the gospel. So, what does it mean to us that God has kept his promise 
to the fathers. So we know what it means to Israel, and Israel struggles today in anticipation, waiting, waiting for the promised Messiah. We look back, just like Christmas, just like Easter, to a thing done, but also in anticipation of what's to come. Because those things still reign on the earth, we still see man's inhumanity to man. We still see self-centeredness. We still see self-serving people. We still see the poor oppressed. We still see hunger disease. We still see all of these things. And yet, we are the ones who enter the kingdom by faith now. So, what does it mean to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers? What it means is that we get to walk every day, in the blessings of the good news, the blessings of the gospel. Oh yeah, there's a point that that begins for us. And a lot of times we like to focus the gospel like the rays of the sun through a magnifying glass and say, this is the gospel, everything it takes to be saved. But the gospel is bigger than that. And when we focus it down to how to enter the kingdom, we miss the fact that it's about the kingdom. The gospel is never referred to as the gospel of how to enter the kingdom. It's, all, it's often referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. So the good news It's all those promises about the kingdom. And here we are. We stand in the kingdom. We have entered through Jesus the door. We have walked in by faith. We have been translated, the scripture says, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We are in the kingdom by faith in Christ. So what does it mean to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers? You might think I'm going to answer that question eventually. And I might. You'll have to live in anticipation until then. Remember this bit way back at the beginning this morning? when I said that God is not slow about keeping his promise the way that some people count slowness, but instead he's patient. He's patiently waiting because he doesn't desire that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does it mean to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers? Well, to the people around us, it means that we bear a message. A message of glad tidings. The gospel. We carry the gospel. We carry those, those huge blessings. The whole bit about, you know, healing disease and, and recovery of sight to the blind and, and uh, widows receive their loved ones back from the dead and and justice, and mercy, and grace, and the elimination of suffering, and the entrance of peace. We carry that message for the whole world. We are the good newsers. Now, that sounds kind of funny in English, but that's exactly, exactly the way it is in Greek. We go about bearing the gospel. That would literally be we are we go about good newsing. And and when we are good newsing, we are the good newsers. We're the ones doing it. Um, 
and to the world around us. That's what they need. They need good newsers, good newsing all over the place. Because they haven't yet been translated into the, gospel, into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. They stand every day in the kingdom of darkness. Whereas, according to Isaiah, on the people living in darkness, a great light has dawned. How do we bear the torch and not guide any out of darkness? So to the lost around us, to to the world, to those who don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the propitiation for sin, that means the payment for sin, if if, if those around us don't recognize Jesus as the atonement, atonement, that's, that's really neat because if you take that word apart, it can be made into three different words. Atone, A-T-A-T-O-N-E-1-M-E-N-T, meant, at one meant. That's what atonement means. It means that we who were once separated at God can be placed at one with him. And we bear that news. That is the gospel message. That is the glad tidings. You can be made at one with God who will take away your sin that you might have life and be translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son and then become like one of us. So what does it mean to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers? It means freedom. Anticipation ended. It means satisfaction. Anticipation ended. It means to us, because God has kept his promise to the fathers, it means we walk in freedom. Freedom from sin. I'm about to test your faith. It means freedom from disease. Freedom from self. Freedom from suffering. Freedom from oppression. Freedom from guilt. And a whole host of other things that are just like Christmas and Easter. Done. But we anticipate again. Every time we fall ill. We know that God has banished disease in the kingdom, but we anticipate the fulfillment of that. For there are still things left of the world. Not everything is the kingdom yet. So we know, Jesus said, it's here. And we believe him. And yet we have to anticipate its full arrival. Freedom. Freedom from all this. But also freedom to something. We are now free. Think about this. We are now free to obey God. We're not free to obey God, to walk in the way that Jesus, beginning at Matthew chapter 5, when he had said, the kingdom is here, and then he went on to preach and said, this is how the kingdom is here, went on to the, the Sermon on the Mount and began to expound a whole new way of life. We are free to walk in those things in obedience to God. Whereas those who still serve the master of sin, according to Romans, 
are not free to do so. You're not free from your master until you die or get bought out. But we, what does it mean to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers? We are free. We are free from all these things, but we are also free to walk in obedience. We are free to be victorious over the effects of sin in our lives. We are free to honor God with our lips and bring our hearts close to Him. We are free, Hebrews tells us, to enter the holiest place. We are free to come before the very presence of the God of the universe whose holiness would consume us were we not wearing the holiness of His Son. We are free. But we are also empowered. What does it mean to us that God has kept His promise to the fathers? It means we are empowered. Because part of the promise was that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And that, according to Ezekiel, the heart of flesh, or the heart of stone within us, would be softened by that Spirit and turned back into a heart of flesh. A heart that could feel. A heart that could now, once again, sense God. His presence. His peace. His power. His mercy. His grace. His long-suffering. And with that new heart, made there because the Holy Spirit came in and did things to us, with that new heart, sensitivity to God, also that Spirit empowers us to walk in the way that God prescribes. Walk in a way that honors His name rather than exalts myself. Walk in a way that is concerned about others rather than concerned about myself. Walk in a way that both demonstrates the reality of the kingdom and invites others into that kingdom. Now, why would I go to all of this? It's not to inform us. Because really, as much as we may agree and be excited by saying these things, the fact of the matter is we pretty much know this stuff. So why would I come up here and talk about it again this morning and waste almost a half hour of your valuable Sunday? It could be because the football game doesn't start till later. But none of us here are really too interested in that anymore. No, I say it because, as I said a week ago, I want to remind us of the foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I want to remind us of the foundation of who we are. Not just who we are in Christ generically, but who we are as a church. Who we are as a fellowship. Who we are as a body of believers. We are all about and have been for the 18 years that I've been here, all about carrying that good news out there. We are all about good newsing. We are the good newsers. We should have t-shirts made up. I'm a good newser. What about you? Whoever's in charge of t-shirts, you do that. Um... I'm a good newser. Current occupation, good newsing. Weird, huh? Kind of strange. But yeah, it is kind of strange because the world doesn't have that. The world doesn't have good news. When I was a kid, we had to learn to hide under our desk in case the bomb went off. Okay, we lived in a world that was kind of dangerous and pretty scary. It's still as scary. Um, 
But that was the world we lived in. We were kind of scary, you know? And, and people, especially people in Europe, Europeans, and those in areas that were primarily not gospel-oriented, would look at Christians and go, Christians are absolute idiots because this world is dangerous, and look at them. They always got this stupid grin on their face. Well, it's not stupid if you've got a reason to smile. And we have a reason to smile. We have, at the core of our being, the very fountain of joy. How can we not walk around singing happy songs? How can we not smile? How can we not offer to the world some alternative? Yeah, let them think we're idiots. God told us they would, right? He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise things. The simple things to bring to nothing the things that are wise. That's me, simple, stupid, grinner. Okay, that's us. You know why? Because I just walk around good newsing. <clears throat> As if there were good news to tell, which I believe there is, and the world doesn't. Of course they think I'm dumb. But that's our job. That's who we are. That's what God called us to. That's the commission he gave us. Go out and make other good newsers. Teaching them how to good news. And obey. And by the way, baptize them. Teach them. Call them to obedience. That's who we are. And that's the foundation I want to remind us is there. As we bring Alex in as our lead pastor. Because I'll tell you, the more I see of that guy, the more I recognize that that's the foundation he has under him. And when he gets here, that's where we're going. Not like we're not going there already. We may, you know, put a different decoration on it, paint it up a little different, but it's the same foundation. It's the same good newsing. We are the same good newsers, and we will continue to be those things, especially in the next two weeks as I continue to lay this foundation and expand our understanding of the gospel even further. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is huge. It's huge. I will touch on this point, this point where we focus the gospel like light through a magnifying glass onto how other people get in, but that's not the whole story. There is so much left for us to anticipate. And so this week, just live in what it means to us that God has kept his promise to the fathers. Oh yeah, there are others out there who have not seen, who do not believe that that promise is kept. And Psalms tells us, hey, people walk around like God ain't there. He's not coming. But we know better. We know it's true. So go around good newsing all week. And you know what else? Before you even get out the door to good news in front of others, just rejoice in it. Just rejoice in it. Joy, by the way, in Hebrew and Greek, joy is a verb. It's not a thing you feel. It's a thing you do. Rejoice. Joy. Go out and joy all over everybody. Yeah. While you're good newsing. 
stand up. Let's pray. Let's get out of here. I've taken about that half hour I was talking about. <clears throat> Father, um, there's plenty of reason to be down, sad, feel defeated. Um, oh, the enemy is out there. He's beating us up. He's going at it. But we know the truth. And every day we turn around and say thank you. At least at meals, maybe otherwise. Thank you for keeping the promise to the fathers. And thank you for inviting us to be the ones through whom you declare the good news. In a very real way, that makes us good news. If no one's ever told us, we are good news. So, Father, prepare the way before us that those we come into contact would be okay with getting good news all over them. And joy. And give us courage to good news wisely and loudly. We are the bearers of glad tidings. Isaiah reminds us that when we go out, we will go out with joy. We will be led forth in peace, and the mountains and the hills will break forth in joyful singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Make us a parade for your glory. In Jesus' name.